You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye. It happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout your eureka, do whatever you'd like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. With me today are some of the forces behind the white chip, the hit show currently play at MCC Theater. Playwright Sean Daniels is a prolific theater maker who leads the Recovery Project for Florida Studio Theater. The Recovery Project commissions new work that destigmatize recovery. We're also joined by the White Chips director, Cheryl Caller. Some of her credits include Next Fall, for which she was nominated for a Tony, and Mothers and Sons by Terrence McNally. Welcome, both of you. It's such a joy to have you today. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having us. Thanks what for having us. What would you like people to know about The White Chip? If somebody were to ask, can you tell me about this play? What is it about? What would you say? Well, I would say, first and foremost, that it is a comedy about addiction because i think one of the things that we've really worked on and, and cheryl has really been an expert at is how do you take a subject that for so many of us we grew up in the after school special or in the just say no era and so we don't you know people really tune out nobody wants to you know you say it's a play about addiction and that's two reasons for them not to go right so we really want to figure out like how do we put together something that is entertaining that is funny that invites the audience in so yes we're dealing with real issues and we're trying to show that recovery is possible in a multiple of ways, but we're also trying to do it in a humorous, charming way so that even if it's not something you feel like you deal with on a daily basis, there's a way in for you to enjoy the show. And it's also, yeah. And I uh, also, and I also think that to add to that, because Sean very well said, um, I think that Sean is living proof of hope. You know, I think that the fact that he has so filled with so much grace, shared his own story and destigmatized the shame and has a great sense of humor about it, 
I think it affords people a lot of hope. And because of the specificity of it, it's very universal because we all have our things, right? We all have the things that make us feel less than or different than or other than. And I think by Sean's grace and his artistry, he's given us a play that we can share that with people that affords a lot of people a lot of hope. May I say that this is a play about your journey, Sean. Uh, is that, would you say that's correct in some ways? Yeah, you know, there's a great Oscar Wilde quote where he says, everything he writes is true, even the stuff he made up. Uh, and I feel like it's it's very similar because it is, it started off as autobiographical, and yes. it is. But, you know, my, it didn't all happen in, in 85 hilarious right. minutes with three people, right? right. So it, it it's it's had to be the story um, of of how you know, and and to Cheryl's point, like how specifically, how sneakily, when you know, when you're dealing with any kind of of drug or alcohol, how it just kind of the creep that it takes over your life. Um, but I think you know what's amazing, and I think anyone that's fought addiction knows this: is that the stories are somewhat similar, yeah. um, so that people understand when they see it, they're like, "Oh my God, you you told my uh, story." I mean, you know, Joe Tapper, who was our yes. amazing lead actor. Um, is also in recovery himself and and everybody comes up to him afterwards and they're like how did how did the playwright get your story into the play um and he's like well it is my story but mine is a little different so i i think there's a, a similarity to the way that many of us have fought it so but it is autobiographical and it is you know there are things that are in it um my mother and i do have the same sobriety date one year apart october 12th that is that is true and that is you know stranger than yeah. fiction so that there are things like that. that and can you take me, Sean, to when you got inspired to write this beautiful play? What was it that made you say, I have to share this story? I have to tell this story. So um, October 12th, 2011 is when I, I wanted to take my own life oh, because shit. I had been so, um, you know, it had been so long since someone had smiled to see me coming. And it had, I had been drinking pretty straight for about a month. And my wife at the time had left me and my job had fired me and I had crashed my car. And you think any one of those would stop the average person from, from drinking, but I was piling them up. Um, and I, you know, I did, I called my mother um, and we didn't even get along at the time, but I just knew somehow to call her. And um, she was actually walking home from getting her, her one year chip. Uh, when I called. So she was kind of perfectly set up to be able to 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 get me through the evening. And then I was in, in rehab. And there's a monologue in the show that I wrote in rehab on about day four. And it it is, for the most part, has stayed pretty much the same. Um, you know, I was just trying to, at the time, I think, process what was happening. So it was I was really confused as to like how everything could be going well. And next thing you know, you know, six months later, it's it's over, and you and you can't. I mean, you're you're really you feel like a crazy person. You 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 genuinely find yourself purchasing booze when you promised that you wouldn't, and you really don't understand. And what I now know is that it's a it's a brain disorder. That's what it's qualified as. So it's you, you're unable to control the actions that you're putting in place. And so, you know, I I'd done theater my whole life, and so it just made sense to me at the time to try to process it in terms of. 
of how plays get written. But then as, as I got a little bit more sober, the thing I realized I had to do was you can only complain for so long uh, that you can't find certain things, right? And I couldn't find anything that wasn't in 1920s language. I couldn't find anything that felt like it had a sense of humor. And I just, I don't really understand any part of life that doesn't have a sense of humor. Even, even if you go to a really sad funeral, everybody is waiting for someone to just say something dumb so that the entire room can laugh. And, you know, I feel like that's just human nature. We're, we're desperate for the release. Um, and so I said like, right, well then I have to write the thing that I can't find. Then it, then it has to be, if I can't find it, then I should write it and put it out into the world. And what, um, and you know, even in our, our industry, the theater world, we somehow consider ourselves to be some of the most liberal, empathetic people that have ever walked the planet. That may or may not be true, but I, I got sober. And then so many people came forward and they were like, I'm so glad you're sober. I've been sober for eight years. And you're like, well, well, where the F were you? Like, why, why is this so secretive? Why am I supposedly walking among you? And I was the only person that thought they couldn't hold their liquor. So part of it with writing it was that, great, then I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to be for the next person, which I couldn't find, which is just to say that it's, that it's possible. That it's that you can get through it. That um, that you can dream of a life. It's not plotting every ten minutes how to get a drink, and that it all can it can work out. As we say, the miracle will happen, but you just have to stick with it. Oh, that's so wonderful! You wanted to share that in a way that can bring people in through theater. And Cheryl, when did you come on board? When did you get involved? Well, I got on board because Sean sent the play to Tom Curtehy. Uh-huh who is a producer and also married to Terrence McNary. And I, as you said, I was working on a play of Terrence's. And Sean had a play running at MTC called The Lion. Tom and I went to go see it, and it just, his artistry just blew me away. I mean, it was brilliant. And Tom said to me that night, well, the same guy that directed this play wrote a play, take a look at it and then tom championed and produced it through our first incarnations of it so i got it i will say because of the blessing that is tom curtihy and terrence mcnally and sean's artistry you know um jeffrey Knopf, who wrote next fall says always says you know if you're an artist and like you had said the tingly of being an artist right if you're an artist what else do you do with the crap that life throws at you you turn it into art that's what you do that's what you do and that's you know those are the basis of in my opinion you know great art is when people are willing to expose themselves in a way that you can only do through art right you know you can only share and particularly theater, because AA and being an addict of some kind, you have to yeah. commune, right? You have to group together. So when Sean and I were developing this play, we knew that it had to be intimate. We knew that every so often we'd have to turn on the house lights yeah. to include because theater is community. And then I think, Sean, and you can speak to this too, I think over the pandemic when theater was taken away from us, and then we did this play once before the pandemic, and now we're doing it after the pandemic. The 
I guess, actuality of sharing a crisis with the whole world really informed the, the production and the play again. And it was, it was really cool to do it again with this whole new. And we've all said, like, you know, I started the play, you know, we started, I was a certain age. Sean had a, you know, didn't even have a baby oh. the first. Uh, were you even married to Veronica he, Shaw? He, the yeah, first well, time I was we married, did it? but I didn't have a kid. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, you didn't have a kid. So life keeps going. And that's, I think we put that feeling into the play, you know, like, you know. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Just that it's life's good, even with all the crap that's thrown your way. I think about this beautiful quote from the New York Times, what Laura Collins Hughes wrote, that Stephen, played by Joe Tapper, doesn't savor the memories of wild times reenacted. Rather, he shows us the desperation and self-delusion behind his addiction, the scheming and strategizing it takes to disguise how extreme his drinking is. And I thought that was really profound. What do you think of what she said? You know, there's um, there's a lot of direct address in the show, yes. which is like Joe talking directly to you. And what uh, the purpose of that is not just for the narration, but to try to communicate the real bargaining that I think so many addicts understand, which is that, you know, it's a terrible idea to keep living in addiction. So why do you do it? You know, like, (laughs) what is it? What? Why? Yeah. But why? You know, you're screwing up and it's like, but no, but that this is the internal dialogue that that runs on with you to be able to do it. And I think, you know, um, you know, it's interesting. We've had some really fantastic actors play the role and they've all brought something wonderful to it. But Joe is the first actor in recovery to play the lead role. And I think there is a, a depth to you can see the to exactly that, the bargaining and the choices that are made and the like belief that, you know, you can drink and still make it to work and it's all going to work out. And the kind of delusion that that we have to live in um, to be able you know, because it's so funny when I tell people the story of getting sober and I say, like, I drove my my car into a telephone pole. They're always like, oh, was, was that the end? And I was like, no, that's about uh, that's about 15 months before the end. Right. So any average person would think like that's 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 a wake up call. You got to do it. And for me, it was, you know, just the beginning of it. And so I think what Joe does so well and what we try to do and what Cheryl has done so well in communicating. So it feels like he's really talking to you in the audience is to try to get people to understand just what is going on in the in the head of addicts, right? Because that is often the, I mean, what are you thinking? What are you doing? I mean, that is the first thing that you would think when somebody shows up drunk to a place that they're not supposed to be, right? We kind of believe 
even though we know it's a disease, we sort of believe that it's a choice and a moral failing and, and can't can't Uncle Brian just not show up drunk to this Thanksgiving? We understand it, but then that all goes out the window when we're with someone who's struggling. So part of the goal was just to communicate really what what are they thinking? What goes through their mind and, and how does it get away from them every and time? And in addition to this brilliant cast, you know, Joe Tapper, Jason Tam, Crystal Dickinson, you also have a dream team of producers, Annalie Ashford, Jason Biggs, John Larroquette, Hank Azaria, The Recovery Project, Ryan Hampton. How did all that happen? How did you get this dream team involved? You know, I... I I, I think uh, maybe a little to your point about the difference between 2019 and now is that the conversation about mental health in our country has changed. Uh, and, and I think in, in for, for, for bad, but a silver lining, a lot of that can be traced back to the pandemic, that I think everybody's mental health suffered during the pandemic. And even my friends that aren't drinkers, like drank too much and then had to like walk themselves back. And so I think we did the play in 2019 and like, it was a New York's critic pick and it got amazing reviews and, you know, people came to see it, but it didn't have anything like what's happening now. And I think that part of that is the change in the conversation. I mean, you know, um, Hank Azaria came forward and wrote this beautiful op-ed uh, about him being in recovery. And now I've been to several events where he speaks and he's suddenly being very loud about the fact that he has been sober and he has been out there and he wanted to be a part of this. And that wasn't happening four years ago. And I just think, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the change and just some scary stats. So in our country now, you someone dies from addiction every three minutes, right? Uh, overdoses are the number one killer of men 18 to 45. And everyone listening to this podcast is more likely to die of an overdose than they are of a car accident. Yeah. And so all wow. of those facts have was not the case three years ago, which I think also means that even if you're well, not in addiction, you now know somebody, right? One in three households. So I think the I want to brag changed. about Sean, too. I want to say that we say in the theater, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Right. And um, he wrote a brilliant play. That I think along with what he's saying now, people were able to read it. I think, you know, um, Hank Azaria has been really out there about what it meant to him to, uh, you know, uh, uh, of the loss of Matthew Perry. So I think yeah. he feels like he wants he wanted to take that torch a little mm -hmm. bit that Matthew so brilliantly. And so, again, I'll use that word filled with grace took the stigma away, this anonymity <laughs> of addiction. And I'm not distant on AA. I, I love AA. I love, I love um, Al-Anon. I think the program is wonderful. And then there's things that have to go along with right. it, right? And then I also think what Anna Lee has done so brilliantly is she's taking the stigma away from, you know what? I married this guy because he's a brilliant yeah. actor, too. He's a great dad. He's a brilliant actor. He's a wonderful artist. So why wouldn't I want to produce my husband's plays? When you think about like Baz Luhrmann, he and his wife work together. But that also the the part of our personal lives when we support people we love and we admire and we respect. I think between what Sean's saying about mental health and about addiction and about being so isolated during the pandemic. So we really do want to form community. And I know that a lot of addict friends of mine, those Zoom meetings were really tough on them because they couldn't touch yeah. people and they couldn't see people and they couldn't smell people. 
and it was through all this. And then I think we send the plane out and yeah. everyone loves it, actually. So it's the yeah. art, too. I want to, he won't say that about himself. So well, I'll say it. Joe about said him. something really beautiful in an interview that I heard recently where he quoted you, Sean. He said, the opposite of addiction is not abstinence, it's community. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you know, it's, yeah, that is it's correct. Beautiful. That is correct. And, you know, well, you know, it's, it's, if you think about it for a minute, right? You're like, so let's think about right. AA, right? All these people gather in church basements and, and tell stories. And, and what, like, why does that work? Why does that work on any level? Like, why, you know, that, that doesn't sound like anything medical that should work. And yet it, and yet it does, you know, even if only, 20% of the people walk out and it works. Like, what? what is it about that that works? And I just think it's it's exactly that. And there's many studies that people, the more that connected they feel, the more that they are able to reach out to each other and talk through and people have been there and they know people have been there. I look so much at uh, movements like people that struggle with different cancers and the, the level of support that is there and people that have been there before. And I have so many friends that have had various different cancers and and they find not only the, the larger cancer community, but the very specific, you know, one that they had also that can walk you through it and the Facebook groups and the and it's not nobody considers it a, a moral failing. Yeah. Everyone considers like it's just a horrible thing and that you can get through it. And and you look at that community and you realize like, oh, that helps. And and it's kind of the it's kind of the beautiful thing about theater also. Like why why do why do we want to gather with other people in a dark room to see a story? Uh, and it's the same thing. You feel a little less alone. If a joke that Shakespeare wrote 400 years ago makes you laugh, that makes you feel a little yes. more connected to the the greater sense of of who we are. And so the beautiful thing about getting to do a play about recovery is in many ways, it does all those mm-hmm. things at the same time. People gather, they understand, they look around the room, people that don't look like them are crying, people that look like them are crying. And you realize like, oh, we're, we're not yeah. so alone. And yes. we can laugh. We can share the experience of, you know, of laughing. I mean, you read that quote from the Times Review. I don't read reviews. So that's the first time I've heard that actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, to me, I, I that's one of the reasons I love the play is that, you know, Sean wasn't idealizing, you know, he was, you know, he really got to the, you really got Sean to the core of what's so tempting about it, what's so hard to stop about it. Right. And then recently we were on the phone right before rehearsal and we were talking about a moment in the play and he's, and Sean said to me, we were on the phone and he said to me, well, you know, it's a big hustle that we do. <laughs> And, and so we, and you just saw the play, right? We put in the hustle. I mean, like, there's so many things that pertain to everyone, just pertain to everyone. I think it's, yes, I think we've all been touched by addiction. I think either, you know, ourselves, you know, I'm a recovered anorexic, so I actually live in the world of recovery as well. Um, and yet, and even if we're not touched by recovery, whether it be with friends or family, this play just allows us in to the human condition, just to the human condition and to family and what it means to be a mom. Like when Sean first wrote it, I'm like, this is a love letter to your mom. You might not know that yet, but it is a love letter to your mom. And he he trusted me on that, I have to say. I'd love to know your lightning strikes moment when you both knew you had to be artists, when you knew this was your path. 
Postart, 1973, The Imperial Theater, Pippin, directed and choreographed by Bob Fosse. I knew that I wanted to do that. I wanted to, I wanted to do that. And then I started directing camp plays after that, actually, at 13, 12 or 13 years old, because, you know, you're in a lot of school plays. I love theater. I grew up in New York. But I am telling you, Magic To Do, Ben Vereen and company up there. And I went, oh, my goodness gracious. Is it hard to put into words? Was it that it was just completely transforming and the dancing and Ben Vereen? What was it? I think it was Fosse's uh, singular yeah, take yeah. on it because I had been going to theater a lot, right? And I think for me, seeing the power of authenticity and seeing the power of this true artist, I'll go back to that word again, this true artist expressing himself, you know, and it's, you know, it's what when Tom gave me Sean's play, I'm like, this is and this only Sean Daniels could have written this. That's what I love about going to see other people's work and people I respect. I was just in London. I saw the new Jez Butterworth play directed by Sam Mendez. And I thought I was going to lose my mind because, again, two very sing. I'm very attracted to authenticity on the stage. That's beautiful. What about you, Sean? When did you know? My parents were big theater goers. And I, you know, I feel like that's such a credit to them. And we just went to the theater all the time. And I, you know, it's like going to church all the time. I didn't realize till I got older. Not everybody does it. We were just like, nope, that's right, what you right. do. Like my parents taking me was like, we didn't go to church or temple. We went to the theater. That's exactly. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we did both. But then so it was just like, yep, yeah. you go to church yeah. on Sunday and you go to the theater on Wednesday. We moved okay. around a lot. So it was like D.C., Arizona and then okay. Florida. And they just wherever we went, my parents were those people that moved to town and got subscriptions at the theaters. And we went and. And at the time, I thought they were like so adventurous. But now I realize they're just lazy. Like we, they didn't do any research on the shows they were taking us to that, you know, was inappropriate for what age we were watching Sweeney Todd at like too young an age. But, you know, it's what was coming through the tour. And so we all went and um, but, you know, I think when I so I've always loved theater just because I just thought like it's just a part of what you do. It's what part of what makes a great city or a great person is a is a connection to the arts. Um, and then I think when I, you know, when I got in high school, the thing I, I've always loved is that it's sort of like the Misfit Toys division. And so it's always the community I have always loved to be a part of that. You're just like, oh, these are, you know, if you're not a jock and you're not these other things, like everybody is welcome. And I just think even from an early age, I really identified with that idea of like the others being able to get together and, and, you know, it's always the funniest and the most charming people figuring out how to do it. So I have always loved the community. And so, so much of, I feel like what we do now is because for me, because I love the art form, but also because I love serving artists and I love making sure that like the community of people and, you know, I'm married to an artist and, you know, everybody always, you know, we have a daughter and everyone's like, oh, are you worried that she's going to be, she's going to turn out to be in the theater? Like, and I was like, no, it'd be the greatest thing if she turned out to be, if her life was that fulfilling. Cause to me, it feels like there's a, there's few other groups of people or communities that I think are as in touch with each other um, and as there for each other as the Do you remember one of those early plays you were in in high school that really helped seal the deal? It's amazing. I went, my parents took me to 
and I've never seen it since. They they took me to see Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on the Donny Osmond <laughs> tour coming through because we were a solid Mormon family and that's what you do. And um, I've never seen that show again and I don't want to because I, it, w- it probably doesn't hold up to what it was in my mind. Um, but at the time it was, you know, dancing and fun songs and comedy and bits and historical and, and some real information in there. And so that really, you know, I don't know that it was like that particular one, but I have such, I can recount for you even today what it was like. Um, and we all loved it. And I think I want to riff off of that because I, I also, uh, not only did my parents take me to the theater and Sean, I lived in New York and my parents didn't do, we, they took my brother and me to see Let My People Come because my mother thought it was a biblical musical. That's and right. All that's these right. naked people wound up on stage and yes. she's like covering my brother in my eyes. Um, but my mom also took me uh, like every six weeks on a Wednesday and she called it a mental health day. Yeah. And we would go to a matinee. So like for everyone who's listening, because we're doing a podcast now, take your yeah, kids man. to the theater. Take your kids to the theater. No matter where you are. Yes. And no matter where you are. It's so interesting now. And I think like, you know, you you mentioned Crystal and Jason, Crystal Dickinson and Jason Tam before. I think that Sean and I are also very aligned to the privilege we have to work just in the New York theater. That was always my dream because I grew up here, right? So like I always wanted to work in the New York theater because this is my home and it always, theater is valuable everywhere. And yet, aren't we the luckiest people that we can text Jason Tam and text Crystal Dickinson and say, hey, you want to do an off-Broadway play? And we have two of the greatest theater actors, actors for that matter, along with Joe Tapper in our play. And Sean is a writer. He's because he's a director too, I think, and just a theater artist in general. He rolls up his sleeves in a rehearsal room to who he's with. And not saying that he rewrites, you know, like, you know, he lays down and rewrites all the time, but he definitely treats it as a collaborative art. And we got so lucky with this cast that we have. I mean, they're just amazing people and brilliant they're actors. Really phenomenal. And it's such a beautiful space to MCC is so wonderful. They take risks. They do a lot of phenomenal works. I love that theater as how has this experience changed you both is it possible to put into words how the white ship has transformed you it's hard to tell what a movement is when you're in the middle of it right but it does feel like we are in a very particular time where the conversation is is changing and you know we're really lucky daryl roth is one of our producers daryl roth produced the normal heart in the 80s at the public theater. And uh, if you did, for a little bit of a history lesson at the time, uh, President Reagan wouldn't talk yeah. about AIDS that was happening. And so the public produced this play and the playwright stood out front and handed out flyers to everybody as they were leaving for every performance. And it, um, Larry Kramer, and it, it changed the national conversation. Yes. And suddenly the president had to acknowledge that it wasn't a gay cancer, that it was something else. Uh, and it, it really changed how people thought about it. And people are alive because Daryl Roth produced that play at the public. No question. And uh, the conversation has continued to change and evolve even from the 80s, right? We're in a different place than we were now. And so my my hope, and it feels like this, and it's a compliment to the, 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 it takes so many people to make a play. It takes hundreds of people to make a play and they all have to be so dedicated to it. 
that it feels like we're a bit in that moment, that the conversation is changing, that more people are talking about it. And so, you know, like, I mean, starry producers are are fun, but like, I think they're there because they're suddenly feeling a responsibility to come out and talk about the the way that sobriety has saved their life and has changed their life. And so, and, you know, the we have a, a Joe and I that, the lead actor, we text at the end of every show because at the end of every show, somebody comes up and says, I'm struggling or thank you. Or, you know, very first night, someone came up and said, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not sober right now. And so Joe said, like, OK, um, can I give you a hug? And the our, our wonderful producers very quickly put together a QR code that's in the program that will take you to 12 different locations online if you want to figure out how to get help. And it feels very much kind of in the normal heart world where... You know, we all, we all, when you're 22, you kind of believe like, I'm going to change the world by doing theater. And um, you kind of lose that along the way. And it becomes more about getting subscribers into their right seats. And, you know, like, do you start at six or at seven? And uh, this feels back to that original kind of punk rock feeling of like, we're doing it. And every night somebody comes forward and says, like, I need help or I'm struggling or can can I get a copy of the play to give to my son or any of those things? And so it feels really great to be able, having that type of effect night after. I just have to tell you both, um, Daryl Roth just texted me. That was oh. what that bing was, if anyone heard it. So she's in the zeitgeist right now. I just want to honor yeah. Terrence McNally um, because he's one of the reasons, a big part of why Sean and I have this partnership now. And Terrence said in a speech to Columbia University, I think theater teaches us who we are, what our society is, where we are going. I don't think theater can solve the problems of a society, nor should it be expected to. Plays don't do that. People do. But plays can provide a forum for the ideas and feelings that can lead a society to decide to heal and change itself. And I think that's what Sean was saying, like to to be able, because, you know, Theater is very expensive in this country right now. It's hard to do. It's hard to get audiences back in. And I think for me, I have two adult daughters. And for me, how it changed me was I was living in the pride of it. I was just living in the pride of creating something that can inspire, can change, and with some great great play people up on stage and I stopped thinking for a while of what are the next steps and where am I going next and what's my next job because we're freelancers so you know and I so I think the way it changed me is that I was able to live in the pride of it actually beautiful well so much congratulations to you both for the white chip and it's been lovely talking to you Oh my god, thank, thank you, you for so much. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Sarah Goodman and produced by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.